Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Somewhere in the vast wasteland of Alaska, a creature is waiting for you with an evil grin. And in the continental United States, is there a cryptid that defies all known physics? And then we travel to Cisco Grove, California, where a bow hunter had a unique experience with two aliens, a robot, and a whole lot of smoke. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. It's Friday. It is the Friday episode. This week, the episodes have been kind of coming out a little bit late. It's just a bit of an anomaly. I've just been working, doing a lot of stuff. So next week, we should be coming out earlier. Let's go ahead and thank some of our newest patrons. Our newest patrons. We have... It took me a while to get the joke on this one, actually. Chris P. Bacon. Chris, the middle initial P. Bacon. Not his real name, but it took me a second. Thank you, Chris P. Bacon, for supporting the show. We have CJ from the UK. Always like hearing from people with initials. So thank you, CJ. CJ from San Andreas. Maybe this is actually that guy. Dimensional Merge. And then we have Al Marival. Al Marival. I don't know if Al is like a title like Alamine. Isn't that like a place in the Middle East? So you might be the Marvel or your name could just be Al. I don't know. But either way, Al, CJ and Chris, thank you so much for supporting the show. So let's go ahead and get started with the episode now. So the we got these two little quick little bites, little nibbles of cryptids for you. Because there's not a lot of info on them. But I kind of wanted to get them in there for the Friday show. In October, we're going to have some spooky stuff, man. If you've noticed, I haven't been doing a lot of ghost stories lately. Mm-hmm. Saving them up for Halloween month. And I also plan on doing some more Dead Rabbit recommends, too. It's for spooky movies you can watch. You're like, I'm waiting with bated breath to tell me what type of garbage you want me to watch. You told me to watch, what was that one movie I recommended a long time ago about the haunted RV starring Denise Richards and Misha Barton? It wasn't called Creep Van. That was a different movie. Creep Van was good. Creep Van was about a creep van, you know those vans with no windows, that murdered you. Not someone in the van murdered you, but if you got in the van, it ate you. And then it ended with a guy killing the guy who was driving the van or something like that. And then he gets possessed by the van. Trust me, it's actually a pretty good movie. You don't have to see it now because I told you the ending. But yeah, it's called Creep Van. It's a van that ate people or something like that. I don't remember. Anyways, Ted Rabbit mildly recommends Creep Van. Okay, let's get started with the story here. Mwahaha. That's not me laughing. That is the name of this cryptid. The Mwahaha. It's an Inuit legend. He's really kind of a creepy guy. He's a little... I don't know if he's little. He's a normal-sized, blue-skinned dude. He's hes described as a starving native. So you imagine Eskimos as being... Is that the actual term? Is that like a, a term someone made up? Inuit? They're basically like... You know, they're kind of like puffy people. They're a little chubby because they're up in the cold all the time. This is a starving version of that. 
So I guess just just imagine they're they're still humans. They're not Ewoks. I don't. Okay, imagine a starving human. I should have said not. Oh, you know one of those Inuits, one of those puffy people, starving human, but blue skin, which would make sense because you know you're out in the cold and you're starving. The Muhaha will. Uh, walk around, <laughs> obviously, he doesn't just, he wouldn't be a cool cryptid if he just laid in the corner. He walks around, and his clothing is all, like, rotted and stuff like that, so he's like, uh, I have to get to the Gap, they have two for one for men's sweaters, but there's no gaps in Alaska, except for the giant ice gaps that you fall through, and they're referred to generally as chasms. And he has a huge, evil grin on his face, so imagine you're in the middle of a snowstorm up in Alaska, and you're just chilling. Drinking some cocoa, drinking some hot chocolate. You're like, this is sucks. I hate the snow. I can't believe I came up here. My life is horrible. But you're up there for whatever reason. You're on a business trip. You're trying to buy and sell snow. You're trying to find the purest snow in the... I go to Columbia for that. But okay, whatever, whatever. So you're drinking your hot cocoa. You're in a ski lodge. And then you hear your dog barking outside. And then you go, that's weird. I didn't know I had a dog. But for the sake of the narrative, you do all of a sudden... Mandela effect, you go outside, and you go to get your dog, and you see a blue-skinned, starving human in the darkness with an evil, evil grin. And then you turn and you look, and you realize you can't run back to your lodge in time. Plus, the door's locked, and you spilled hot cocoa on the doorknob, and if you touch it, it'll burn your hand. So you can't get back in your house. So you're like, okay, I got this little blue cryptid dude after me, right? What's going to happen if he catches me, Jason? You've put me in a no-win situation. It's actually kind of dope. Well, not dope, because you die in the end, but he's a professional hunter. Not a professional. He's obviously not a professional. He's starving to death, but, I mean, he he's not catching enough food to not be a starving man. But anyways, he's able to track you down through the woods. He's a, he's a hunter, not a professional hunter, not a very good hunter, but he will find you. But he doesn't eat you. What he does is, and we've seen this in other cryptid legends, which is interesting, he tickles you to death. So you're running through the darkness, and you're... Uh, uh, coming up behind you <sighs> come on rover rover help me in the dog you're like oh wait i don't have a dog why did i even leave my house in the first place Mwahaha. jumps on top of you and starts tickling you and you're like well that's not too bad but he has razor sharp claws so each time he tickles you little pieces of flesh go flying off your body and you scream out into the dark alaska night i hate snow and the way that i'm dying and the snow keeps falling and then somewhere a dog's like, <laughs> tricked another victim. That dog's a cryptid too. And and the next day, this is another sign that someone's been killed by a mwahaha. It's, I don't know if that's actually how you enunciate it, but it is spelled M-A-H-A-H-A. So anyways, when these bodies are found dead with all their skin torn off, they have frozen painful smiles. So basically like, I don't know why I just made the face. I'm doing a podcast, and I just made the face of a painful smile. You know what a painful smile is. So, like all good cryptids, my favorite part is how you defeat them. Usually they have stupid ways to defeat them. This one actually might be the most logical way to defeat a cryptid. It should be the way to defeat almost any cryptid. If you see a mwahaha and you're being chased by it, its one weakness is being kicked into a river. So, while that would work for, like, Bigfoot or, like, a unicorn... Or Mothman, if you like, were able to like lasso down his wings, kick him into the river. That would work for almost any cryptid. How many rivers are there in Alaska? Like, isn't the water frozen? Like, do you just kick him onto ice and he just slides across the ice and then he just gets back up, starts coming back after you? 
how many raging rivers are actually in Alaska? And I'm sure there's a few, because I'm sure like the Inuit people were fishing and stuff like that. But are there really enough that it's a viable option to kick a cryptid into? Like, is it like there are they a bunch of them? Maybe there's some tributaries, maybe a few inlets. But are there really a lot of rivers? I don't know. I don't care. I'll never go there. Not because of the mwahaha, but because I hate snow. Let's go ahead and move on to our next bite-sized cryptid. This is a little cool one. And this one is actually a recommendation from El Pato Reviews. El Pato Reviews, if you still listen to the show, he recommended this, I don't know, eight months ago. He's like, hey, Jason, look into these guys. And I said, I will. Thanks for watching the show. And then I just, (laughs) I did look into these and now I'm covering them. So thank you, El Pato. This is also on the Conspiracy Theory Iceberg, oddly enough. It's about 10 sentences long. So here we go. So let's go to anywhere other than Alaska. These things probably exist in Alaska, but we don't want to be here anymore. We tape our flesh back onto our body (laughs) straight up like some Hellraiser nonsense. We're all like duct taping our skin back on. And then as we're getting back to the Dead Rabbit Dirigible, you realize that I purposely landed on a salt flat. You're like, there's no salt flats in Alaska, and I'm just pushing you into the salt. You're like, ah, I hate this podcast. And then I pick you up, and I'm like, sorry, dude. Sorry, that wasn't really funny. So it's kind of funny. (laughs) So we put you onto the Dead Rabbit Dirigible, and I'm just, like, eating salt licks the whole time and throwing them in the backseat. You're like, ah, we're going to fly out from the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. Not like Superman. We're going to get in the Dead Rabbit Dirigible and fly out of Alaska. We're going to any town, USA. So, because these are all over the place, apparently, or nowhere, because nobody really knows about these guys, or if they exist, which they most likely don't, but let's take a look at them. We're going to land in a town square. It's a beautiful little town, a bunch of people walking around, kids got balloons, there's a corndog festival, um, mayor's giving a speech, whatever. It's a town that you would see in a movie, or in real life, if you happen to live in a town that has a corndog festival. And we're enjoying the corn dog festival. We're, we're part of the corn dog eating contest. I'm eating. I'm in the corn dog f- contest. You are in the pretzel eating contest. So you're getting salt all over yourself. You're like, ah, take me to the hospital. Anyways, the sun sets. I don't know why I didn't start this narrative off at night. I could have avoided all that. The sun sets. It's getting dark. We're walking through the forest. Not the forest. We're walking through the park together. Maybe it's a forest. It doesn't matter. There's a forest in the next story. We're walking through the park together. I feel bad that you're all salty. <laughs> I feel bad. So anyways, we're walking. You can tell how bad I feel. We're walking through the park, and we see like a grove of trees out in the distance. And I'm like, hey, look at those trees. And they're like, they're not salt trees, are they? I'm like, no, 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 no. They're totally fine. Look at those trees. Did you see that? And you're like, what? And I'm like, I think something moved over there. And you're looking through the darkness. The sun's still a little up, so it's really hard to tell what's going on. And then you see it. It looks like... A tree with no leaves kind of move, kind of take this weird action. And you're like, is this a tree-based cryptid? Did you bring me all the way out here to talk about a tree cryptid, or did you just want to eat corn dogs? And I'm like, well, I did want to eat corn dogs, but that's not a tree cryptid. What we're looking at is known as the Black Stick Man. Black Stick Man. And what they are is they are basically a very tall cryptid. And I know people are going to talk about the Russian video. I think that's pretty much fake, but it's most likely fake. But they're basically, imagine if a little kid drew a black stick man, but that stick figure became like 12 feet tall. 
and was walking around your neighborhood. And it's funny because now that they think about it, this almost has a, an idea of the dimensional merge where maybe so many kids have drawn stick figures over the years, they've become real, like in some sort of sense of a tulpa, some sort of sense of a thought form. But what these that's basically what these things are. And they're two-dimensional. So if you're looking at them from the front, you can see them perfectly. But if you see them from if you go to the side, they're invisible. They're two-dimensional. Once you try to observe them out of their flat dimension, they're totally invisible. They could be you could be surrounded by black stick figures right now. You wouldn't know it. They're just standing on the side of you perfectly still. Assume that there is a black stick man next to you, no matter where you're at. Go to the bathroom, black stick man. Getting married, black stick man. Drawing a black stick man, oddly enough, no black stick man. But usually they're all around you. Now there was some researcher named, some cryptozoologist named Mark Wolfgang Miller, and he said that he found one in Buford, Wyoming, and he stood within six feet of it, and he said it actually looked like a tree until he watched it move in a non-tree-like manner, was his quote. And he couldn't take a photo of it, because that's, of course, what we want, a photo of a stick figure. Couldn't take a photo of it because it looked too much like a tree. Now, that's a quote that's associated with uh, Mr. Wolfgang Miller. But here's the thing. He is a real person, but there's no proof that he was ever in Buford, Wyoming. There, I couldn't find any connection between him actually being in Buford, Wyoming. So I think they either took a real person and attached this story to him, or it's a real story that's so obscure I couldn't find a connection. I couldn't find like an article written about him visiting Buford, Wyoming, or anything like that. And just when you thought it was odd enough, they apparently wear hats. They have top hats as well. But there's a debate within the Black Stick Man community. Some people believe that they actually have hats, that they have purchased hats somewhere from like a two-dimensional hat store, or the hats are just big lumps on their heads that are perfectly shaped like a top hat. The debate, people don't know. And a lot of people think this is just a hoax, that it's so foolish that it has to be made up. Now, I think that probably the biggest giveaway that it might be made up is the idea of a two-dimensional object existing in a three-dimensional space. Kind of blows your mind to think you can turn and look and something's not there, but it's there. You just can't see it because it's only in two dimensions. That's not a deal breaker for me. Honestly, a deal breaker for me is the hats. That's a little too weird. I don't know why, but I again, are do they perfectly have hat-shaped heads? Or are they buying hats? They couldn't buy hats because you couldn't, like, where's their pockets for their money? Do they find the hats and turn them? What if these are real people? Ooh, Jason just came up with the conspiracy theory. What if these are real people who have been turned into two-dimensional people? And they brought their hats with them. They all had their hats with them. Like, if you wear a top hat, your chance of being accidentally teleported into a two-dimensional world is higher than if you were wearing... A red baseball cap. That is why Fred Durst is still with us, but Charlie Chaplin isn't. Conspiracy theory? Is Charlie Chaplin, do you ever wear a top hat? I think he wore a bowler. It doesn't matter. Let's move on to our next story. Our next story is an actual story. Our next story is an actual full-fleshed-out narrative. It's not Jason talking about (laughs) baby cryptid stories. Thank you again, though, El Pato Reviews. I did like researching that. There just wasn't a lot there. We're going to Cisco Grove. Now, Cisco Grove is in California, and it's up like in the northern, I think it's in Placer County, California, but it's this tiny little, it's not a tiny little place, it's a forest, it's a grove at least. So anyways, let's go back to the year 1964. Vietnam War was raging, I 
think. The Vietnam War was either about to happen or currently going on. And um, Charles Manson was alive? I think he was five years away from his stupid murder plot. That it, I hate that story. And I know that Quentin Tarantino did his movie, but you guys, I, you know, I don't like serial killers in general. And he's not even a serial killer. They're not, they were like a mass, I think they killed like two groups of people. They were more like a spree killer or a mass killer. That whole thing about Charles Manson is so, whenever I'm talking to someone, this comes up a lot because of the type of stuff I talk about in podcasts, you know, paranormal, true crime, stuff like that. I've been having these conversations for a long time. At least, I don't, I hate serial killers. I think they're super tacky and gauche and all that stuff, but a lot of times I meet people and you can tell how into this stuff they are or how sane they are by who they talk about. So if I'm talking about, if I bring up true crime or something like that and someone's like, oh yeah, you know, like Charles Manson, you're a pleb. Like you are so surface level into true crime, but that also means you're just an idiot. Like if that's your go-to first serial killer, you're like, yeah, you've seen a couple movies. You, you may have read Helter Skelter. You think he's cool and counterculture and you're kind of into it. That's whatever. You're an idiot. When I'm talking about true crime or I'm I'm just bringing up like macabre stuff and someone goes, oh, yeah, you know, like Ted Bundy or Jeffrey Dahmer. It's the same thing, but it's a little more like, okay, this person has a kind of a working knowledge of serial killers. So Charles Manson is the one that everybody knows. Nowadays, everybody knows about Ted Bundy. And he was pretty popular, but now people know a lot of details about them. But I'll be talking to someone, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, Jeffrey... Because I always bring up that comment, serial killers are cowards because they only kill women and old people and children. And people go, well, Jeffrey Dahmer uh, killed men. And I go, yeah, he drugged them. He drugged them, and then he drilled holes in their brain. Like, he wasn't stalking these people through the streets of Chicago, like a hunter would, which is coming up in our next story, assuming that I can get to it. But every so often, I'll meet someone who I'll talk about true crime. And I guess it's my fault for bringing up true crime. It's not like a walk down the street and be like, hi, my name is Jason Carpenter. What do you think about all those murders that took place? No, you know, it just comes up in conversation. People go, what do you do? I have oh, a podcast and da 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 And this happened a lot. What type of books do you read? Oh, I read true crime books, da 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 When people start bringing up people like Starkweather or um, Coral, Dean Coral, those are really, like, I don't want to say unknown because they're fairly well-known in the true crime community, but in the... General populace, most people don't know Starkweather or Coral, especially if they know Coral, because that guy was a sick monster. When people, if, if their go-to first serial killer they want to talk about or that they've read a book recently on is Dean Coral, they got some problems. They got some serious problems. Again, I, I've I've read more about true crime than I have about UFOs, conspiracies, everything like that. I just don't like talking about it on the show. It's a downer. So why am I talking about it right now? I have no idea. It'll probably get edited out. I don't even know how I got on this subject. Oh, yeah. The year is 1964. We're, it's September 4th, 1964. We're in Cisco Grove, California. These three dudes, three buddies, are out bow hunting. It's the sound of an elk and or rancor monster getting shot with an arrow and falling down. We have Donald Trum and then his two buddies, Vincent Alvarez... And tell me this isn't a dope name. His other buddy's name was Tim Trueblood. Pretty awesome. So Tim Trueblood, Vincent Alvarez, Vincent... Well, it's funny. Vincent Alvarez is a pretty dynamic name as well, but it's not as good as Tim Trueblood. But both of them are better than Donald Shrum. Donald Shrum. 
So anyways, Shrum and Trueblood and Alvarez are bow hunting in the middle of Cisco Grove. And they decide to go, it's getting dark, and they decide to go their separate ways to track down these deer or elk or rancors that they're looking for. And they're going to meet back at the base camp probably tomorrow morning because it's getting really dark. If they can find their way back before, that's cool. But if they can't, they can just make camp. So Shrum is like, I'm the star of this story. You guys go. I will find something to shoot with my arrow. So anyways, some time passes. Now Vincent is out hunting out in the woods too. And he sees a light kind of hovering over the forest off in the distance. And he doesn't really think much of it. It's just an odd anomaly. He's like, is that maybe a helicopter flying? Because it was kind of far off. He's like, maybe a helicopter flying? I don't know. Atmospheric something? Who knows? All I know is I'm about to kill this deer. (laughs) Another deer goes down. But Donald Trump is deep in the forest as well. It's totally dark. It's 1964, so it's not like they have night vision goggles or drones or stuff like that. You just got the eyes God gave you and then the bow you bought from Sportsmasters. So he's walking through the woods. It's totally dark. He's like, listen, there's no way I'm going to get home. And then he turns around and realizes there's nobody there. He's talking to talking to nobody. And he goes, my life is so lonely. Maybe someday I'll find a Mrs. Shrum to make my own. So he just, before he can go off and find true love, he says, I got to sleep. I got to go to sleep. So I can't sleep on the ground because there's like uh, mountain lions and bears and stuff like that. And the ghost of deer and elk I have killed. So he has a special belt. It's not like a magical Harry Potter belt, but it is a belt that he can climb up a tree and attach it to the tree and then fall asleep like Katniss from the Hunger Games. And he's like, why did I make that reference? That movie doesn't exist, but it would probably be good. That movie was actually pretty good. But anyways... He climbs up the tree after having that weird conversation with himself. He's like, maybe I should write a series of young adult novels. He adjusts the belt and he falls asleep. Wait, no, he doesn't. He adjusts the belt. He's in the tree. He doesn't fall asleep yet. And he's hanging out up there and he wants to fall asleep. But then he sees a light coming through the forest. And now he thinks, okay, my buddies probably got back to base camp. They're probably worried about me because it's really late. They probably sent out a search party. So yay. So he undoes the belt, starts shimmying down the tree, and he lights these flares, which I guess old-timey flares. He had a light with a match. Anyways, he uses a match. He has a bunch of matches. He has a lot of matches in the story. He lights a match, lights a couple flares, and he's like, over here, guys. Over here. It's me, Donald Trump. And and then the light's like, coming towards him, and he goes, oh. And it's like a sphere. It's a glowing sphere. So he's like, that is not a rescue helicopter. Or if it is, it's the coolest rescue helicopter ever, but he realizes it isn't. He starts to shimmy back up the tree, ties his belt back on, because he doesn't really know where to go. It's pitch dark. That is not a word. It's pitch black. He can't just go running through the forest. And right when he gets back up the tree, he's probably a good 12 feet up, 10, 12. Oh, dude, what if it's a black stick man? He climbs up a black stick man. He doesn't realize that it's there. Anyways, it's about 10, 12 feet up. There's no stick man, no hat. And that is when he sees these two little alien people. They're not, they're not moving furniture. They're not groaning. They're just doing like alien stuff. They're walking from between the trees and like walking up to his tree. And he described them as short humanoids. But then he sees another humanoid as well. And he goes, it's a robot. This is a robot dude coming out of the forest. And the light is still going. So the UFO. So he's looking down at three little humanoid type aliens. He doesn't really get into a lot of specifics, at least in the articles I read, if they were 
like reptilian or they were wearing suits. I've seen different drawings of these things and they seem to be some sort of reptilian in a suit. But I couldn't find any definitive description of these guys. So just little aliens. Use your imagination. Use your imagination. So little aliens come out. There's a robot. A little mechanical dude walks out of the forest as well. And he's looking down at them and they're looking up at him. And the two aliens walk up to the tree. They're looking up and they start shaking the tree. Now they are making sounds like they are moving furniture. Uh, And he's like, "Uh oh, this is not going to be good. This sucks. And the tree's kind of wobbling a bit. He has this trusty belt on. And they keep shaking the tree. And then the robot gets underneath the tree. And then white smoke billows out of its mouth, basically. And when it reaches Shrum, he passes out. (sighs) (gasps) he wakes up a time later and the aliens are still at the bottom of the tree trying to figure out how to get him down so he begins lighting matches and throwing them at the aliens right that's the sound of a match falling does that sound good here's another one i mean i will admit those are probably the loudest matches you've ever heard but doesn't deter the aliens each time he throws a match down they do kind of step out of the way but then they move closer to the tree, and it's like they're looking to see how to get him out. Lights another match. And then he realizes, wait a second. I have one of the best weapons ever invented by mankind that's been used for 100,000 years or 10,000 years. Doesn't matter. He pulls out his bow, gets an arrow, loads it. That's the terminology, right? He loads the arrow. And it hits the robot. Robot starts walking around, sparks shooting out of the robot. Like a 1950s sci-fi movie. Sparks are shooting up. Just a little sparks. Wasn't super dramatic. And then the aliens go, Another robot walks into the scene. Releases some smoke. Shrum passes out again. He wakes up again. And the aliens are climbing the tree. He sees them going, mouth whatever mouth you imagined opened with the type of teeth you want them to be and he's like this is not going to end well this is not going to end well so he begins and this actually is fairly ingenious he begins ripping off pieces of his clothes and lighting them on fire and throwing them at the aliens and it is slowing down the aliens advance he sets his hat on fire throws it at him he's taking off pieces of his clothes he's thrown at him It does slow their progress. He begins taking coins out of his pocket and throwing them at the aliens, which is kind of a step down from setting your clothes on fire. He's throwing coins at them. Then he starts grabbing branches and setting those on fire and throwing them at the aliens as well. And at that point, the aliens, they're still trying to get him. But enough is enough. They call in yet another robot. You get the sound effects. It merges with one of the previous robots. Straight up some Transformers combiner stuff. And then black smoke pours out. I didn't tell you. The other smoke was white. This stuff is black. And he falls asleep again. When he wakes up. Sun is coming up. It's dawn. All the aliens are gone. And the UFO left earlier. I forgot that detail, too. The UFO left during this whole thing. The aliens stuck around. We're still trying to get him. But when he wakes up after the black smoke, all the aliens are gone. UFO is gone. It was already gone. And he's totally terrified, but he shimmies down the tree. 
runs all the way back to base camp. He tells his buddies, now Vincent said, oh yeah, I did see a light out in the forest. And Shrum's like, dude, you should have come. We totally could have fought these guys. And Alvarez is like, eh, maybe if you were true blood, I would have come. But for a Shrum, sorry, bro. Apparently they went back and they grabbed the arrows because he shot a couple arrows. He just hit the robot with the one arrow. They took the arrows. The coins were gone. So they always figured the aliens took the coins with them. And eventually they did go and tell the Air Force what happened. They're like, Air Force, Air Force, you won't believe what happened to us. And Air Force is like, calm down, kids. And why don't you take a seat and tell me what you saw? And they're like, Air Force. So anyways, they tell the story. Supposedly the Air Force took possession of the arrows. And uh, Shrum said it looked like you could see metal shavings on the arrow from where I hit the robot. Unless his eyes are made of microscopes, I doubt he was able to tell that. But apparently the Air Force takes the arrows. And then they tell Shrum that didn't happen. Like, here's what you might have seen. And Shrum said it was like they were giving me alternative alternatives. Like saying, no, no, you didn't see that. You saw this. Right? And and he says they gave him a couple different stories. But he actually never, supposedly, never changed his story. And he was offered money to, like, for the rights of his story, and he never sold the rights. He just tells it over and over again. So supposedly that adds a little credence to the story, which is possible. It's one of the stories that could be true, could not be true. I'm a little curious how many matches the dude had. How much clothes he had when he ran to base camp. I imagine him running back to base camp in, like, his underwear and a big tree belt. And being like, guys, you won't believe what happened to me last night. And they're like... Where are your clothes? And he's like, no, no, aliens showed up. And then I was up in a tree and a bunch of smoke came out. And they're like, no, 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 back up, back up. Where's your shirt, bro? Like, how much of his clothes did he burn? How many matches was he carrying? Those are quibbling things. But it's still important stuff when you're trying to look at the details of whether or not this story is true. So that's the story of the Cisco Grove encounter. And I want to end the week on that story. Because you might think that story is scary. He's up in the tree. It's all alone in the dark, dark forest. He's helpless. He's trapped in the tree as aliens are trying to get him. But I don't want you to take a message of fear. I want you to take a message of hope. Because although this story has all the hallmarks of a spooky story, it really tells the tale of a man who held off alien intruders armed with technology far beyond our own. With a Stone Age weapon fire, and a couple coins. And if a man named Donald Shrum can hold off two aliens and three robots using nothing but those tools, then we should have nothing to fear from those so-called alien invaders. This story proves that humans are the best. Their little UFO was no match to a box of Strike Anywhere matches. There was no way they were going to catch this dude. So you have to go through life with that mentality. Whenever life puts an obstacle in your way, you I want you to see that obstacle as two aliens and three robots. And you're a box of matches ready to take on the world. Disclaimer, don't actually take on the world with a box of matches. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Deadrabbitradio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys.